You see Papa John step down? No. Papa John stepping down. Oh, because he's he did a sexual? No, because of his comments about the NFL scandal. Oh. And he blamed that. He blamed poor pizza yeah. sales on the NFL no, that was, scandal. That was dumb. And also, and, fuck Papa John, but his pizza's delicious. It is. Uh, oh, I, we can buy Papa John's again. Yay! Yay! Goodbye, Papa. I really wish that life was such that I could look at any of my close acquaintances and go, scat me. And then they just... Are you ready for the last podcast of the year? Or potentially of all time? No. Okay. No. Let's go. I'm going to keep doing this even if I have to kill you. (laughs) Why? That would not help. I'm going to keep doing this podcast even if I have to kill myself. Happy New Year and welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're going to judge 2017 for all that it was worth. It's Terminator 5, baby. And we're the Terminators. Are you saying judge, 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 judge? Maybe. Because that would be very thematic. It's the last Zero Credits episode of 2017, and we gotta take a look back at what happened during that entire year, and render the best worst of the many categories that we're dealing with today. It's insane to think, because, I mean, Heavyweight's the crown, it's on us to decide for the listeners which, which things in these specific categories in 20, 2017 are worth considering, and which shall be stricken to the void. Yes, the the worst of each category will be thrown into a vortex that swallows up memories. Kind of like in the Adventure Zone, but we don't have a fish. You can only have a best best and a worst worst. There's no second place. Right. So, yes. Here's how this is going to go. Uh, for each category, John and I will both present our candidates for best, and then we will debate about which of our candidates will continue to exist. And the one that loses, once again, stricken from existence. You, no one can talk about it again. This is, this is the burden that we carry as judges. And it is your burden as listeners to hear the proceedings take place. And cry for your favorites that get destroyed, because you'll never remember them, and you will, won't realize why you're crying. Yeah, it's... Sometimes I don't realize why I'm crying. I never realize why I'm crying. And it happens a lot. (laughs) All the time. All right. So let's cheer up and let's start the proceedings, John. We don't have a lot of time. All right. Hit me with that first category. Category number one. Judge, 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 judge. Is song. Song. So we're going to be talking about the best and worst song of the year 2017... And we're starting with candidates for the best. Now, you have to understand, Henry, I'm someone who uh, uh, enjoys some music. All right. I don't always listen to the most contemporary music, but I try to stay uh, on top of things. Okay. This is maybe my favorite category that I had to think of. I had a lot of contenders. 
And I'm going to mention a runner-up just because I want more people to listen to it. But it is not my number one for best song. Uh, it is... Well, it's basically the whole album Nothing Feels Natural by Priests. Interesting. It's really great, like, throwback, repetitive punk music. You know, that's interesting, John, because because you offered it up as a runner-up, it will by default not win and therefore be struck from the record. I, I do understand that. I just thought, <laughs> while, we are, while we are talking about it, while you're listening to this podcast, if you can listen to Nothing Feels Natural by Priests in one ear... And listen to the podcast. Because when the verdict is given, it is gone forever. It is gone forever. I, I have I had difficulty with this this best category. I actually have two candidates, which I think is unfair. So I'm going to have to try to limit it to just one. All right. I'll let you go first, though, while I do that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so what I am contributing, what I'm placing on the altar uh, under the sword of Damocles. Tell me if this is starting to get cumbersome is the song Black Magic by Rustin Kelly. I have not heard of that song. Not a lot of people have. It's not extremely popular. I first heard it on a college radio station. It's kind of a, I guess, pop country. It's country, but it's definitely got pop elements. And I'm not going to say that I love everything else Rustin Kelly has done, but the lyricism in this song is really, really good, and it's extremely catchy. Interesting. Do you, do you have, like, a sample of, of lyrics you can pull from your head? Uh, that'd be great if I had that. Okay, well, don't worry about it. All right. No, essentially, I, I'd like our listeners to listen to it because I don't have a sample prepared, and I'm not going to sing it. But it is... And we, we couldn't even, we couldn't present a sample if we wanted to. True. Because of copyright. But it's a song essentially about toxic relationships, and it's off of the album Halloween, and it's about the the artifacts of, of heartbreak and disappointment that toxic relationships can leave with you. And it's, it's so dense, it's so good, it's so listenable. I, I love this song, and I, I love it every time it comes on. This is really interesting. Because the song that I'm going to put up on the altar, hanging, the sword of Damocles hanging above it, is Praying by Kesha. Oh, Praying by Kesha. And that song, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am. Alright, so it's about sort of the same thing, like an abusive relationship, and sort of hoping that the, the abuser can heal and find peace as you're sort of, as the singer is uh, admitting to, like... All of the trials that she's gone through have made her stronger, have made her who she is. She doesn't regret what's happened, but she's hoping that everyone involved can move on. So so it's kind of the same thing. There are kind of some similar themes between these two songs, and that's, that's, that's really interesting. Similar for sure. Black Magic is a much more pessimistic song, though. Oh, see, see, Prane is very hopeful and optimistic. Because the uh, Black Magic essentially begins by saying... Halloween is here with me, you left it in my home. Oh, okay. And it it basically lays out this kind of haunted house map of a toxic relationship, talking about hearing voices from the cellar and scratches on the roof. So, so Black Magic... Wait, what was it called? Black Magic. Okay, Black Magic is sort of mapping out the scars of, of an abusive relationship, whereas Praying is more about sort of the sutures or like the... Like healing, like the scars have faded. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. We got and two, that high note. Oh yeah, that high note. We got two sides of the same coin here, John, mm. but only one of them 
can be considered the best. O- only one can be remembered through uh, all of history. One thing that I might like to bring up, and it may uh, sink my galleon where it floats, but are we going to consider perhaps the context that these songs were released in? We can. I mean, if you want to give me that 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 plus, because, I mean, Kesha released this this single after four years of not making any music because of her her ongoing struggle with her producer, whose name was like Doctor Luke. Yeah, what a dumb name. Dumb. Who she had a court case against for allegedly molesting her, sexually abusing her, what have you. And the courts found him not guilty. Mm. Um, it's very sad. There's not a lot I can do to defend it if we're actually looking at these songs contextually. And the second you said praying, I kind of knew it was like an out-of-the-park home run. I think the reason I, I really went with this is because it can it came out before all of the sexual scandals in Hollywood... But I, th- I feel like it could really be sort of an anthem for that moment. Mm-hmm. That, e- e- like, now, you know, women can stand up and be strong and face their accusers and know that hopefully they'll end up being all right on the end. And I, I mean, I've always loved Kesha and pretty much everything Kesha stands for. Same. And she's only become kind of more perfect in my mind for what her music kind of stands for in the current environment. So, uh, you know what? I will concede. All right. Let's not even fight that one out. All right. We have our first concession, and so the best song of 2017 is Praying by Kesha. It's a good song, and it's important. Yeah. It is. I listened to it for the first time today. I will really? be honest because I hadn't. The radio stations I listened to didn't play it, and I had to, so I, I had to seek it out myself and listen to it. And I was very moved. I found it hard to like that song for a little while because I understood uh, what it stood for. But the first time I heard it was at a party where people were trying to hit the high note over and over again. Oh, that's just going to leave a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah, it was just very annoying. I didn't like it, and I am a party pooper. I have pooped. On that party. Poop on that party. Speaking of pooping. Oh, the worst? We gotta get to the worst. The, the worst, worst song. Ac- the worst action? Pooping? No. <laughs> the worst song of 2017. Now, I don't know about you, but this was pretty easy to come up with. Uh, mine was also very easy. I think we might have the same song. It's uh, it's entirely possible, but I'm gonna let you go first. I, I think we should do a double reveal at the same time, because I'm that confident we have the same song. All right. So I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it a count back. All right. So 3, three two, 2 1 Look, look what, what you made, made me do by Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. That song is Here's the thing. Listen. You might like that song cuz it's catchy. Is it catchy? I when I hear it it gets stuck in my head because Kesha's music Kesha? No. Taylor Swift. Taylor Let's Swift. get this right. So different. So different. Uh Taylor Swift, her music is mathematically created to be catchy. But that song is a garbage song with an awful chorus that is all over the place. It's it's a it's just a bad song technically, and it it represents this like stupid heel character turn based on like inter celebrity drama that's yeah. so pointless. It, it reminds me so much of what we're taught when, when I when I, I went through like poetry writing classes. 
if you write with a message, your message will get in the way of your words. Yeah. It, 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 there's like a there was a famous poet who who on the first day of him teaching classes he he asked the students does anyone here have a message they really need to get out and that's the reason you're in your class please raise your hands and people did and he said I can't teach you anything oh great and then he said now if anyone is here because they love words they love sounds they love putting words together raise your hands because I can teach you something that's very cool so it's just I feel like she she set out with the motivation for this. This weird, like, I'm going to start a feud, or this is the next step of the feud between Kanye and me, and I'm going to call him out, talk about the rotating stage or whatever, and that just got in the way of making good music like she did in, in her previous album, which was, what, 1989? 1989. That was a good album. What Taylor Swift did with this album is essentially cutting a professional wrestling promo with the same amount of, like, prosaic novelty. Yeah. I, I just... You know, save it for Vine, save it for Snapchat, don't make an album out of it. Or just don't do toxic, like, okay, (laughs) don't do toxic uh, publicity stunt garbage, how about that? And especially don't release an album of it. Yeah, it's weird, because now we've got another two sides of the same coin scenario, where we've got Kesha with the best song and praying, mm-hmm. and that obviously is inspired by moments and like it actually has a message, but it doesn't get in the way of the artistry. Mm-hmm. Then we've got Taylor as the, the worst song with, with this long title. Look at what you look what you made me do. Look at what you have made me do. <laughs> Which I can't. I don't even know. I ugh. And, and so like it's weird. It's kind of like for our best worst songs. We've got a lesson in what to do and a, a lesson in what not to do. This is maybe the, the perfect category for this, and I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy that we both hate that garbage, awful song. It's, I like Taylor Swift's music, but this, whole, this recent album, it's kind of like, maybe you should have gone back to the drawing board. Yeah, or uh, just not made an album at all. I don't know. Yeah, Le- yeah. Leave it on something good. Yeah, so there is our first category, and that's kind of how the rest are going to go. So I think without further ado, we should move on. So the next category, of course, is video game, because we can't fucking help ourselves. No, we have to talk about video games. It makes up, like, a large percentage of my life. Yeah, it... Here's the thing, Henry. It does not make up a... Or it has not made up a very large percentage of my life over the last year. Something I was made acutely aware of when trying to come up with items for this list. Yeah. I think I may have only played two or three video games this entire year. Uh, If I hadn't bought a Switch and a PS4, I would be in the same boat. Because I've really kind of curtailed my PC gaming. Like, the Steam sale started today, and I, I looked at it, and I was like, you know what? I think I might skip this year, because I just, I don't have time. When you come home from work, you kind of just want to grab a controller and mess around. I don't want to do, like, serious story stuff, even though I did play through Persona 5 twice in, like, a month. Mmm. That was fun. They need to make more Persona games. But anyway, let's get to our nominations for the best video game of 2017. Alright, mind if I start? You may start. Alright, so my best video game of 2017, that's a bit of an unconventional one. Okay. It is The Legend of Zelda... Breath of the Wild. Now, now, before you start describing, I just want to say that I also have picked kind of a dark horse. Not a lot of people given recognition to this. I nominate The Legend of Zelda 
Breath of the Wild. Okay, so we're gonna have to hash this one out somehow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how we're gonna reconcile this difference between us, because I feel like both of us have picked a game, or, or games... That the media is largely ignoring. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we just need to give them the recognition where recognition is due. And I'll start with mine, and I'll say the things that I liked about it, then I can pass it over to you. Sounds good. So what I liked about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for the Nintendo Switch was it actually made me excited to play a video game before in a way that I haven't been maybe in years. And that's not to say that video games don't excite me, but it's a very specific feeling of discovery and not actually knowing what the consequences of your actions are going to be because there, there's something about modern video games that has become relatively formulaic because if if you have a certain set of verbs in a certain environment you can kind of understand what's going to happen but the reason why let's say ocarina of time was so amazing is because that was relatively soon after we began seeing like 3D XYZ access worlds in video games and having that kind of experience with those verbs in that environment was totally new. You didn't know what was going to happen. Everything was so dense and new and interesting and Breath of the Wild totally managed to do that for me. Yeah, they've added something to the series that we haven't seen before, and that's a physics engine. Mm -hmm. And because of that phys physics engine and that physics engine alone, the, like, the things you do are now, they're more realistic in that, yeah, you can skip a puzzle if you can find a way to blow yourself up over a fence. Breath of the Wild has done something that video games uh, almost never do to me anymore, which is it shocked me. Yeah. I, I saw something happen that was innocuous and anything else, but it shocked me. And it was, I fell down a cliff and the character of Link ragdolled and died. <laughs> something that is commonplace in almost every other video game. But because it was that same treatment to the sacrosanct franchise, I was shocked. I was chilled. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's we're we're finally seeing Nintendo sort of modernize in a way that a lot of us maybe didn't think would happen. We, we thought this these cookie cutter games where Zelda, you've got let's say eight dungeons, collect the gizmos, free the princess, fight the monster. This time it was just like here. It's been a hundred years since Link has failed. This is the world you live in. Go. Yeah. And, uh, well, I, I think here's what we do. All right. Since we both have, like, varying opinions on this, I think we might have to do a first in Best Worst History and concede. Both of us concede Both to the of other. them. We've, it's a double concession. A double concession. Both entries win. Both entries win. You know, I feel like that's the only way to, to reconcile these differences. And for anyone who has not checked out The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild... I urge you to find a way to play this game because it is magnificent. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever played a better video game, and I seriously mean that. Yeah, I mean, in an age where we're seeing like the the refusal of companies to, to do a yearly cookie-cutter game, like Assassin's Creed has such kind of backed off, both Battlefield and Call of Duty have backed off, we're seeing that now is the time for innovation, and Nintendo just got a huge head start on everybody else. And it is the 90s, and it is time for clacks. Now let's move on to the worst category. I mean, the worst 
part, the worst, the worst video game of 2017. The worst video game of 2017. I, now I went slightly off script for this one. I have a dark horse. Feel uh, free, share. I love dark horses. Don't look them in the mouth, though. <laughs> so, in a year of innovation, one company who I don't know the name of decided it might be time to reboot their classic mascot and franchise. Mm -hmm. And this is a person we haven't seen since, I want to say, the late 90s. But they thought it would be time to bring him back, only to find that, no, no one wants you back. No one wants you back. No one wants you back. And this, I'm, of course, talking about... Bubsy, the Bobcat. Oh, fucking! Hold on. They've made There's a, a new Bubsy game. They made a new Bubsy game for the for the the PS4. It's called Bubsy: The Woolies Strike Back, and it was critically panned. Nobody wanted it. No one played it. It was just a misstep. Please get yourself out. Henry, listen. Every Bubsy game has been bad. So, so it's a continuum of the tradition of this company to just release bad Bubsy games. Yeah, Bubsy 3D is like one of the most like critically maligned interactive experiences known to human existence. I'm pretty sure that's what killed the franchise previously, and they thought... Well, as long as we make it better than that game, we'll be batting a thousand. Even regular Bubsy was bad. Bubsy's never been good. Why would you bring back Bubsy? Because they they felt it was time. Keep Bubsy in the ground. <laughs> so that's my nomination. All right, I, I went slightly off script with this. All right, uh, because I played very few video games, and all of them were good, and I didn't want to. Uh, just put them on here for, for no reason and slight them. Uh, but I went with the concept of unlockable loot boxes. Now, this is by no means new. That's not new to 2007. <laughs> or 2017. Yes. But I feel like we actually were coming... 2017 is the first time gamers made a, stance, a stand against these loot boxes. And I also feel like 2017 is the first year where I saw... Like, blanket normalization of the, the loot box across almost all platforms. Uh, if, if you look at almost any popular video game out there right now, they have some component of, of loot boxes. The idea that you have to spend some inordinate amount of time or money to essentially get a random chance to get certain items in a video game. And they heavily incentivize, I mean heavily incentivize, that you actually spend your own money to essentially play this slot machine. Yeah, be, be it just cosmetics or actual perks and stats in the game, it doesn't matter. It, it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. All free-to-play games have it. And now even games that you pay for, that you pay the full $60 price to buy, are also having loot boxes. It's, it's, a, it's a huge problem in the industry. Do you think if they made a video game where you went around healing all the people... Who got uh, grappling hooked to jets? It would be called just cosmetics. <laughs> yes, I feel like that's what it would be called, and uh, we're gonna be calling you Ubisoft. Get it, Ubisoft? But no, loot boxes are, are horrible. They are uh, institutionalized gambling in an art form that I quite enjoy. And see, I, I ran into the problem of trying to pick the worst game because I feel like the easy option would to say would be to say. Battlefront 2, but the thing is, all of my my dislike of the game is about the loot box structure, is about the upgrade structure, and that's very little to do with the gameplay itself. Yeah, I never played it, uh, didn't have any interest to play it because of that, but I, I didn't want to, to hang this just on their head, because this is 
uh, phenomenally widespread. And, and so I think I think that that is a is a bigger issue than just the revival of Bubsy. So I'm gonna go ahead and we'll just concede because I feel like loot boxes are absolutely the worst video game of 2017. I want to make it clear though that I think that we should lock Bubsy in one of those loot boxes and throw it off a bridge. If we could combine these two somehow without paying like five ninety nine. And, and, like, just get rid of them, jettison them both out into the, the ether. I feel like that would be a great thing to do. And sadly, that is not the case. And loot boxes are here to stay by our decree. As the worst things of 2017 involving video games. And the next one coming up uh, might be a quick one, might be a long one. Uh, but this one is Internet Video. Yes. Now, I went off script with this one, but I'm going to let you go first. I did not go off script. I actually spent a sizable portion of my day today, when I wasn't working, uh, looking up internet videos to find the best one. And I went off a bunch of lists, and I actually like cross-referenced different sources to find the best video of 2017. It's a little quirky sort of explain them, and it's called... History of the entire world, I guess. Is he the same guy who did History of Japan? It is the same guy who did History of Japan. Love that guy. And I watched this video twice. It's about 20 minutes long. And I just found myself floored because it's it's entertaining. It's knowledgeable. And it got a lot of people to, to know some sort of basic history facts. So it, it's gotta be it's gotta be the best video. That's that's a strong contender. And as I said, I went off script for both of mine in this category. Okay. Uh, because I was strapped for time. That that's that's fair. Uh, my contribution to this is uh, going to be a. Well, I just thought of one that I really like. Okay, I'm changing my vote. Oh, he's changed, going off script. Here's the thing. Listen, listeners, I'm gonna take it right to you. The best internet video is a series of internet videos on the internet right now by Kotaku.com. Okay, do tell. Uh, it is the series Found in Translation. What does that mean? Uh, Found in Translation is a series where Tim Rogers, uh, who is a translator and video games journalist, plays through all of Final Fantasy VII in Japanese and English at the same time and compares the lexiconical differences between the two of them. That sounds really neat. It's fascinating. And he's he's really funny. Uh, they're really well edited, like amazingly well edited. Uh, very different than a lot of the other stuff Kotaku has on their YouTube channel, which I don't follow, but I follow for these videos. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're funny. They're informative. He talks about really interesting kind of dialectical differences in Japanese, like r really, really educational, useless lessons in Japanese. And it also has a big hit of nostalgia in it for you because you get to relive your Final Fantasy VII memories. Now, see, I never played Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII. It would have extremely diminished value to you. Yeah, I I've watched part of a speedrun of Final Fantasy VII, but then I gave up because it was, like, long. I would say that if you were interested in watching this series, have an appreciation for Final Fantasy VII beforehand, because they are... It is interesting. You can watch it, find it interesting, find it funny, but the greatest utility I get out of it is... Like, remembering the, the weird little translation things that it would say. And, like, it, it triggers memories. Like, I was I was watching this video, 
And there was, uh, I think it was in like the Shinra headquarters or something. It was a specific line that they were reading. And I remembered that I was like a child and I was sitting down on like plush carpet with a PlayStation controller with the volume turned way down, like late at night playing the game so my parents wouldn't hear. It was a trip. So off script, found in (laughs) translation, number one with a bullet, Tim Rogers. I'm coming at you with a bullet. So, how do we reconcile this? Because it sounds like they're completely different. Yeah, they could not be more different. One is a 20-minute video of the history of the world. The other one is a series of videos about the differences between the English and Japanese translations of Final Fantasy VII. There's almost no way to compare them. Almost. I will say, you know, your memories that you had tied to the nostalgia of the time period of when you played Final Fantasy VII... Mm. All humans have that for the history of the world. Um, I would like to make a case uh, that the video I like is cool, too. Well, I'm just saying, I feel like people might get more out of the history of the entire world rather than just a series of some nerd playing video games. (laughs) Okay, uh, now hear me out, listeners. Uh, in terms of creativity, they're both very creative and very funny. Uh, History of the World fucking wins by a country mile when it comes to creativity. Because it's it's this like great like intertextual take on a history lesson with like music and graphics and humor. And I like it a lot. I, I will say that what you described sounds insanely interesting, and I, I am probably going to check it out. It's interesting, it's well-produced, and it's just good. How do, we, how, do we, how do we end this discussion without both of them winning or losing? I can end the discussion for you, because I concede. Oh, okay. You don't have to do that every time, you know. You no. Can, you can fight. I, I know, but the thing is, I can't, I can't genuinely come up with an argument... That mine is more important than that. Yeah, that's a weird kind of line to take, because are any internet videos actually important? I don't know. Are TV shows important? Are songs important? Well, songs can be important. Art is important! Put Bumsy in the ground! Art can be important, but the question then is, are internet videos art? And that's a discussion we can't have today. Okay, and they are. And they are. All right, so then, History of the World, I guess, wins. Congratulations to Bert something. I don't remember his name. I really should have written down. I've got a link here I can click. Hold on. I'm going to stall. Also, we do have to concede on everyone because if we never concede, the segment will never end. It's true. And there is no objective. No one's going to come in and say, I'll file faster seven videos better. Put Bubsy on the ground. If you disagree with our agreement or with what we come up with, you can let us know in the comments. So, uh, so the winner of this round is History of the World, I guess, by Bill Wirtz. Bill Wirtz. That's Bill Wirtz on YouTube. Look him up. His videos are funny and sometimes weird. Look him up, cook him up, put him in a stew. Dot com. All right. So now the worst internet video. Yes, the worst internet video of 2017. I also went off script for this one. I didn't. I found this video today. Okay. Uh, so you're... Pr- you want me to go first? You can go first. I'm trying to figure out how to explain mine. All right, so you know the Koch brothers? That's not what they're called. The nope, the Koch brothers. Koch brothers? <laughs> I think it's Coach. Coach? Co- K- K-O-C-H? Yeah, that's the, the, Coke. It's Coke? Okay, you know the Coke brothers? Yeah. One of them the has... The Koch a, cam. <laughs> no. One of them has a son. 
Oh, boy. By the name of Wyatt. Well, that's unfortunate. Who inherited $75 million upon his birth. Of course he did. And he has come up with a clothing line. No. That's called, like, Be Bold. Oh, yeah. It features really tacky, really horrible shirts. But he recently posted a commercial for his clothing line on Instagram. And it features him talking about his designs. And he says, and I quote, I just wanted to design clothing that people could wear to work or on their yacht or anywhere. Uh, hold on, it, it hold on. The only model in it is him. And he's like, and sunglasses and drinking champagne and laughing with people he's paid to be around him. And it, it, it's, <laughs> it starts with him saying like, my father said that I could do anything, but if I do whatever I do, I need to be passionate about. And then it shows these really tacky shirts. So here's what we're going to do, listeners. Uh, we're going to we're gonna get out of the podcast real quick, and I'm going to take a peep at this. All right. And I'm going to be right back with you, because I have to see this for myself. And so Henry and John watched the video, and it was indeed awful and bad. Oh, what a lovely holiday story this was. Come next year for an equally good holiday story from me, your local holiday robot narrator. Okay, that wins. That wins? Uh, yeah, that wins. Oh my god. It's insufferable, oh right? Oh my god. Here's... Okay, you you did not prepare me. <laughs> you did not adequately prepare me for the fact that, number one, this guy is a Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah, well, I didn't want to be offensive. He looks like a... He looks like a... Like a cartoon of wealth. He, he does. He definitely does. Like, you remember when, like, rich people were fat... <laughs> Yeah, the Coke family remembers. Yeah, because they're still living it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. 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 (laughs) This guy's glasses are real bad for his face, number one, even though they cost like $100,000. His shirts fucking suck. I, These are the worst shirts I've ever seen. They look like shirts you would win at a goddamn carnival. You you can't be talking about how much you love your clothing line and be wearing just a shirt that is literally money bags. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's he's awful. I was expecting like a douchebag bro, and he's a douchebag bro, sure, but he's way worse. Also, you did not tell me that the line is not wherever or on a yacht. It's... I wanted to design clothes that you could wear to, you know, the boardroom, to a discotheca. Or nightclub. To a discotheca. Or a yacht. This motherfucker said the word discotheca with like a picture of him sitting next to a model. And then, oh, you know, on a, fuck this guy. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and that is why I nominated it for the worst video of 2017. Oh my god. It is awful. That, Jesus Christ. Fucking forget what I wrote. You're it's not even close. It's not even close. It's not even close. Let's not even talk about it. Put All that right. in the episode description. Alright. Jesus Christ. That's gotta be a joke. It wasn't. It's he got, posted it's... it to his Instagram and then deleted it. After all the backlash, and it's gotta be. I only ch- found the video because I think CNN posted it for posterity. So oh, thank God for CNN. Yeah. Oh fuck that guy. Well, we can quickly move on to our next category. He looked like Titan hairless. Like, if looking at him, he didn't. He looked like he was like imperfect and that he was like on the larger side but he was like polished and oiled yeah uh he looked like a he looked like a fantasy eunuch 
I know that we are an, a strictly audio podcast, so I just have to urge the listeners, please look up Wyatt Coke, his clothing line, and see if you can try to find this video, because it is god-awful. Oh my god. Came out yesterday. <laughs> oh my god. All right. I've never been angrier. Let's try to calm ourselves and cheer ourselves up by talking about the best movie of 2017, which I think, no matter what this conversation is, we'll be happier for it. Yeah, I uh, I was very passionate about this category. Yeah, 2017 marked a weird uh, year for me because usually I only go to the movies about four times a year, and I'm usually happy with what movies I see. But this year, I started going to more movies, and... Each time has been a very pleasurable experience, so this was a hard category for me. You know why you've been going to so many movies? That Alamo Draft House. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get that sponsorship. That is way too loud. We'll, uh, we'll edit it out. Okay. <laughs> Alright, uh, so yeah. If you want to go first, I'm curious to know what you nominated for Best Movie of 2017. Alright, anyone who knows me knows what my choice in this category is. And I also saw quite a few movies. But I also always see quite a few movies. And in fact, my movie consumption was down a bit this year, which is a shame. uh, Considering I still want to see, like, Star Wars and The Shape of Water... And I haven't seen Lady Bird. I haven't either. I really it, want to see Lady Bird. This year in review, it was a great year for movies. This, it was a, it was a fantastic year for movies. Wonder Woman. It really, really was. Justice League, arguably Thor, a, a Baby Driver, Logan. Logan came out this year. I had to remind myself oh, of I that. Oh, I thought Logan was 2016. It was this year. Logan was very good. Like, like... Just a phenomenal year for movies. We're living in a golden age. It's great. In a lot of ways, this was a good year for art, but that's a bigger conversation. Yeah. So, uh, my nomination for this category, uh, and it will come as no surprise if you know me, because it's so far in my wheelhouse that it has permanent residence there, uh, but it is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Now, I went a little different. Okay. Because I nominated the movie. I don't know if you've heard of it. Go for it. It was three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. All right, so we've noticed a trend. We keep agreeing on things. Uh, yeah, maybe it's because we we enjoyed some of the stuff together. I don't know. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is phenomenal. Uh, it's it's so good. It's so so good. And I know we haven't seen Lady Bird, which is apparently breaking records on Rotten Tomatoes and such, but. Three Billboards was like a tableau of great character development, great cinematography, great writing. Just everything across the board is done so well that it just stood out against all of the other movies I saw. And, and this was a, an easy win for me because one of my favorite directors, Martin McDonough, behind it, one of my favorite... Uh, Actors, Francis McDormand, one of my favorite actors, Woody Harrelson, one of my favorite actors, uh, fucking, no. Oh, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, how did I blank on his name? I don't know. Uh, Awful, just awful. Uh, but it, it kind of hit all the highs for me. In a lot of ways, it it felt like Martin McDonough was trying to make a Coen Brothers movie in a lot of ways. This kind of, uh, put, 
patrochial American gray area uh, with with crime, though it, it's missing a lot of things that would make a Coen Brothers movie a Coen Brothers movie, and it's not like he's trying to create a, an imitation. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that this movie does is in an age where every movie is sort of like we gotta find we gotta find a way for the audience to walk out and feel good about themselves. This movie resists that to show you what life is like. It is, in a lot of ways, one of the most realistic movies I've ever seen. Not necessarily in its uh, depiction of human relationships or violence or heartbreak or grief or anything like that. But just in the tone, it is simultaneously not to the detriment of either side of its character. Simultaneously one of the most deeply sad and most completely hilarious movies I've ever seen. While still being very entertaining. Like, we're not talking about some artsy-fartsy foreign film, or we're, and we're not talking about some just rompy action flick. It's a perfect marriage between the two that can show you that you can be entertained and enlightened at the same time. Yeah, you can, you can possess the feeling of humor and the feeling of grief simultaneously, as we often do. You know, some of the, the hardest times I've laughed and some of the times I've been most grateful for laughter... It's, it's laughter that comes from sadness. Because, I mean, you could get into, like, benign violation theory and all this stuff about what makes us laugh. But laughter and sadness are such core emotions that are not opposite to each other. Yeah. You know, you one of the, the best feelings in the world is having some, something very sad or bad happening, but it is very funny that it's happening. So you, you are possessive of both of those feelings. You're, you're existing in these two worlds where you're like, what is happening is heartbreaking, and also I'm so happy that it's happening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bizarre feeling. I'm sure the Germans have a word for it. Probably. I, I, I want to stress that even though we came up with the same best movie between us, this was a very hard category. There were a lot of great movies out there just a few runner-ups, Loving Vincent, Coco, Baby Driver, Logan, like all of these movies that are in some way are bucking the, the system or just being great movies, great entertaining movies, great movies with great messages. It's just, at the end of the day, there can only be one, and it just happens to be three billboards. I just want everyone to realize how tough it w was for me to say that a movie was better than Baby Driver, a movie that I paid money to see in theaters Five times. It's a great movie, and it's just a really great time for people to be making original, like, non-franchise stuff. And the franchise stuff is even strong, too. It's just, we're in a great era of storytelling, and I really hope it continues in 2018. Good time to be telling stories. You know it was a bad story. Well, I was about to say, speaking of which, 2000, uh. 2017 was a terrible time for stories. Yes. <laughs> you had you had Boss Baby, mm -hmm. you had Secret Life of Pets, you had Ferdinand which just came out. Kids movies. <laughs> Maybe Ferdinand's a masterpiece. You haven't seen No, it. no. I've heard I've I've seen that. I've seen what critics are saying. For kids movies, 2017 was god awful. Oh, absolutely. Uh the, almost without exception, uh kids movies were garbage except like Coco. Besides like Coco and whatever. So what, did Kubo come out this year? That was last year because I I was I wasn't here yet. Okay, yeah, Kubo's good. Kubo, well, that was last year. Yeah, but it was good. It was good. All right. So with that being said, let's present our nominees for the worst movie of 2017. 
Uh, so can I go first? You can go first. Uh, if it's a movie I've only seen 20 minutes of. Okay. Uh, but I will tell you what it is. Uh, it is the Emoji Movie. John? Oh, I'm gonna assume... I've nominated a, a little-known film... Okay, we don't have to do this bit again, you can just Starring, say... <laughs> uh, Silicon Valley's T.J. Miller. Uh-huh. I also nominated... Uh, weirdly enough, I also nominated the the Emoji Movie. Uh, did you see all that stuff with T.J. Miller recently in the news? Apparently, yeah. I mean, we, let's we not talk, get let's into not talk it, about it now, but... but I'm oh, just, man. I'm just gonna say it does not surprise me. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's, you know when news comes out and it ripples through a lot of things you love and you're like, ah, fuck. Yeah. Uh, but, but, boy, um, So, so the emoji movie, someone thought it was a good idea to be like, what if emojis had feelings? And it was kind of like, what if, no. Uh, yeah, uh, here's my take on the emoji movie and why I say it's the worst movie. Uh, not because it's bad. Uh, or because they roped stars into making this garbage Patrick movie. Patrick Stewart is in it. Uh, the Emoji Movie is garbage because it's like pure bald face profiteering off of a popular trend and like who who cares? Like It's, it's a cash grab. It's just a cash grab trying to like get money from children to tell them nothing. Yeah. It's a pointless, it's, it's a garbage exercise. If we want to compare this movie to a movie with a similar naming structure... The Lego Movie. Mm. The Lego Movie. It people could say it's just a ninety-minute-long ad for Legos, but it taps into like the pure imagination behind Legos. Legos on their own are just bricks, but like the construction, the deconstruction, the ability, it, like it messes with like following the instructions versus doing your own thing. It, it plays with these central themes, whereas emojis. They don't have all of that behind it. Yeah, the the Lego movie shows that you can have a movie based on something children like and still make it good. It's just a soulless, awful cash grab. The same thing as the fucking Smurfs movie, Troll. It's all garbage. Yeah. It's all garbage, dude. It's, it's all garbage. Kids, grow up because your movies get better. It's all garbage. All right. Well, I feel like we need to flee because we're supposed to be feeling good about the year and that was a bad thing. Let's go on to the best moment of 2017. And that is the moment like so, you so just yeah, said. The category, <laughs> the category is just moment. So I feel like this is a very broad category. I went with a series of moments or like, I guess, a cultural moment. Um, I don't know if you went with like a specific time and place or anything like that. I, I went with kind of general, kind of specific. Yeah. I, uh... Do you want me to go first? Because I feel like you've been going first a lot. Yeah, I went first twice. All not right. keeping score or anything. I will go first. The best moment of 2017, and this is a cultural moment, is people taking sexual assault assertions seriously in Hollywood. Well, you know what's really funny, Henry? Did you do the same thing? Yep. Are you serious? Yeah. Verba well, not verbatim, uh, but mine was the, the opening of Floodgates to uh, openly accuse people who have been... Uh, Whatever. This, know, is it's a, this is unprecedented. Hey, look, the the good shit in 2017 was just good. What can I say? The bad shit was bad. And, and maybe it's because this stuff is happening more recently that it's more on our minds. Because I thinking back to early 2017, I can't really remember what was going on other than we were dreading the results of the election. Some of us were. Some of us were happy. I just want to make it clear. The wording of my best category yeah. is accusations against sexual predators. Gotcha. That is how I worded it. All right. Yeah, I feel like that is the victory of 2017, that 
the change is happening. We've talked about it before. I don't know if we need to delve on this too much, but it, this is probably the best thing for our society that's happening currently right now. I mean, uh, we as a society are a fish that rots from the head, and that head is Hollywood. Yeah. So if if we cut these people out of Hollywood and, and out of their positions of power, we as a society can only improve. And the thing is, we're learning more and more about just how pervasive that this was in the industry. Oh my god, T.J. Miller, potentially. Well, well, that just... Did you read Selma Hayek's article or, or her, her open uh, ed piece she wrote about what Harvey Weinstein did to her... Uh, I, I did not. Her, I think it was Felita Car- Carlo. Really? Her, then she did a movie on that. I... It was a bio. I'll, I'll have to read it. I'll have to read it. it yeah, read... What he made her do to get that movie produced? Mm. Not anything behind the scenes. Yeah. On camera. Mm. And you'll see that this is a super serious issue that we need to take seriously. It's not just, oh, well, they should have known better. It's, they're affecting what people see on camera. Yeah, it's it's pervasive and it's, like I said, society can only get better. So, yeah, rooting these people out will only... It'll affect our language, it'll affect our culture, it'll affect everything from the head down. And so, that's why it's the best moment. All right, and we're in agreement, so let's move on to the worst moment. Since I went first twice, you can go first. All right. Worst moment of 2017, by far for me, was the government response to the Puerto Rico hurricane aftermath. Oh, that is really terrible. And that they basically just ignored... That Puerto Rico belongs to the U.S. and no one else was going to come help. Yeah, uh, that was... Uh, uh, it was. It made me sick to watch us do nothing. I, uh, I went a little bit different. Okay. So uh, my worst for the worst moment of 2017 is accusations against sexual predators. <laughs> okay. So, so you went with, like, this, the double-sided coin. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> It's great that they're, uh, we're openly, we're like, it's, people are now feeling more free to accuse people who have, uh, sexually assaulted or harassed them. Uh, and this is a worst moment for me, and it might just be, uh, selfish, but the, the knowledge of the pervasiveness of this has so thoroughly colored my worldview that, uh, I am still not entirely sure how I should process the information. Like, here's the thing. It's very selfish to say, oh, accusations came out against this person that I like. Uh, So boo-hoo. Like, they're a garbage person. They just uh, talk good into a camera. But uh, let's say uh, the potential horrible shit about T.J. Miller. The thing that that makes me think of is not, oh, boo-hoo, T.J. Miller's now bad. It makes me think the the wide-ranging implications of every movie he's been in and what that means for the people he's been in those movies with and my perception of those movies from there on. Like, it has, like, turned my perception of art and art that I particularly like, which is movies, inside out. And I'm still trying to get back from that. Yeah, it's a huge issue. Uh, I, I read I read an article, I think it was in The Atlantic, about like distance, distancing ourselves from the monsters. And mm. is that something we should do? Should we continue, as we've done before, to separate person and character, person from art, or do we have to read their monstrosity into the art now? Does it have to color the important work they did in a negative light? 
And that's it, it. The answer there is no answer because we're living through it. Yeah, I, I really used to be a big believer in death of the artist. You know, I, I don't think that you should necessarily take the character of a creator into account when you enjoy their work. But that was for isolated cases where I was like, oh, this person murdered somebody or whatever. You know, let's still read their books. But yeah, I'm finding it significantly harder to separate artists from art. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. And it, it's hard to be on the side of trying to defend somebody ne- right now without coming off of, like, trying to... Seeming that you're downplaying the importance of the moment. It, it's like this weird ambivalent creature that we don't know how to handle. It, it's almost a stance you can't take. Because, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and be like, Oh, well, like, uh, Kevin Spacey was really good in this movie, because it's like, you, you can't, in, in, in the color of what's happening, like, that's not a conversation that's worth having. I know, yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter how good he was in Seven, and or, or any other role, because now we know he was like this pretty much the entire time. Yeah. It's as bad as, I mean, it's weird, because now we have to have this discussion where we have to pick wh- which one was worst. Yeah. And, and really... They're both awful, terrible yeah. things. Like, people were, were without power for months. I don't even know if they have power now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like natural disaster versus cultural disaster. Which which one wins? I really feel like it is in our best interest or in the best interest of humanity to not... for Maybe for both of us to concede. If we understand the conceit of this being that one of these will be forgotten, I'm not willing to say... That either of these should be forgotten and stricken yeah. from history. I, I, we're very jokey here, but now we're talking about very serious things. And I don't want to fight over disasters. No. I don't, I don't want to say what hurricane was cooler. <laughs> what? So I say they both win. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know a better way to handle that. I think they both win. Both are extremely serious and both are extremely horrible, and we're both living. Uh, we're we're living through them right now. Yeah, I. Let's. Ugh. Oh, we keep doing worse last, and it keeps dragging us down. It's been a rough year. It has been an extremely rough year. It's. I'm hoping, like, so 2016, all of our favorite actors were dying. <laughs> yes. 2017, all of our favorite actors are becoming sexual assault people. Hopefully 2018, the world becomes a better place, <laughs> hopefully, please. Hopefully 2018, they get their shit together. And you know how you make the world a better place, John? How? Through passing policy. Oh. Through the U.S. government, which leads us right into our next category, the best worst proposed law of 2017. All right, a tough category to be sure. Because as I learned, uh, people try to pass a lot of laws. Oh, there are tons. And our uh, it was very broad what we chose, uh, whether it was state or federal or just the United States. Because I found a lot of laws in other countries that were real bad. Don't peep on my notes. I'm peeping at your notes because I want to know what you did because I, I went straight straight to the top. Well, how would I tell you that mine doesn't go straight to the top? All right, that's good, because then they're different. Okay, so the proposed law, let's see, and it is a law now. Okay, that so, so it passed. It passed. All right. So it is H.R. 321, uh, sponsored by Barbara Comstock, introduced in 
January of this year, I believe. So getting right in there. It is the Inspiring the Next Space Pioneers, Innovators, Researchers, and Explorers Women Act. I saw that. I saw that proposed law that is now actually a law, and I almost picked it. The the Inspire Act, and I shall read it to you here. Uh, this bill directs the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, to encourage women and girls to study science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, pursue careers in aerospace, and further advance the nation's space, science, and exploration efforts through support of the following initiatives. Yada, yada, yada. Uh... <laughs> And then NASA, NASA shall submit to Congress a specified plan on how NASA can best facilitate and support both current retired astronaut scientists. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. It sounds. It, I I read through it and it, it's great. It's gonna it's gonna make efforts to increase the representation of women in these fields while also just bolstering these fields wholesale, no matter gender or whatever. It is focusing on women. But it's also promoting men who are interested too. Yeah, it's it's promoting women, and it's also not even just promoting it in the in aerospace and aer- and aeronautics. It's just in trying to say we should uh, place a, a greater emphasis on STEM research, and NASA is going to be a part of that. And it's I I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I think it's a great thing. However. I'm going to do you one better, John. Yes. I also found a proposed law that became... Uh, yeah, a proposed bill that became a law. Mm-hmm. And uh, put your shoes on, because they're going to be knocked off. All right, I've already got them on. All right. This is uh, Bill S-1616, uh, sponsored by... I think S means it's in the House. I thought it was Senate. Yeah, the House. The House of Representatives. No, the Senate. No, the House of Representatives. That's Congress. Is it? Yeah. Oh my god. Senate. I used to be a political science major. Alright, so this is S-1616, sponsored by Senator Pat Roberts from Kansas, mm-hmm. and it is, are you ready? Uh, yes. The Bob Dole Congressional Gold Medal Act. Oh, I think I saw that one. And this bill directs the Speaker of the House of Representatives and the President Pro Tempore of the Senate to arrange for the award of a Congressional Gold Medal to Bob Dole and recognition for his service to the nation as a soldier, legislator, and statesman. Wait, so they proposed a bill just to give Bob Dole something? To give him an award. That's dumb. In a time where, you know, we actually have real issues to tackle, this is a law that was passed by our government. Yeah. To give Bob Dole a medal. So this is the best This is the best proposed law in the history of 2017. Okay. Uh, that, is a, that is pretty impressive because, you know, Bob Dole's going to get his. You know, I, I see what you did. You, 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 you're nominating a, a law that's promoting a wide section of un underrepresented people and major areas that maybe some equality is needed. However, I'm not nominating Bob Dole. So, so uh, let's just say what you're trying to do right here is bring forth a motion that we should award the motion to award Bob Dole with a medal for his service. I think my nomination of my nomination speaks for itself. All right. Uh, 
So mine wins clearly because it's so much better. Clearly. No, I, I I nominated my bill as a joke. Yeah, because I I know I know for a fact that Congress and why just Bob Dole? <laughs> they do this a lot. They do things like we're gonna rename this post office. We're gonna do we're gonna rename this highway or whatever. And I I I, I nominated it to bring light to the fact that they need to stop doing that shit. Yeah, that's pointless. That's pointless. It, it's it's doesn't serve anybody. It's it's stupid. They have to nominate someone for a medal. I don't care. Who introduced that? What's the... What is it? S... It's S1616. 1616. Is there a dash in there? No. Uh, let's see... Let me see who sponsored well, this puppy. I, I already introduced. It was Senator Pat Roberts okay. from, from Kansas. Come on, Pat Roberts. You got better shit to do. Yeah, I, I mean, like, we got serious things. We got... Let's... Let's... Let's promote women. Let's throw Bob Dole into the void. <laughs> Put Bob Dole in the crate with Bubsy and throw him in the river. All right, so that we can move right on to our worst proposed law. And unfortunately, I also have a proposed law that became a bill. My yesterday. I've, uh, I've also got a doozy for you, Henry. Yeah? Uh, in a year, let's say in a year where the worst proposed law category could be a real bummer. Yeah. I think we have both picked humdingers. Well, I, I just, I'm not, no ceremony, because I don't want to, I don't even want to, like, give this time on her podcast i nominated the gop tax reform bill uh yeah uh shambolic poorly written mess rushed out the door that will potentially fuck us over for generations yeah and just the whole treatment of it the midnight votes the no one's even read it yet thing just the entire treatment of this stupid bill needs to be like the worst legislation that we've ever done in the country's history. It's, uh, yeah. It's, but does it stand up to your nomination? Uh, my nomination of Joint Resolution Number 34 in the 115th Congress, which is... Now, it's a little bit heady on the language, but if you, a master of English, can follow me and see what it says... Okay. Because this is all the way back in April. This joint resolution nullifies the rule submitted by the Federal Communications Commission entitled Protecting the Privacy of Customers of Broadband and Other Telecommunication Services. The rule, published on December 2nd, 2016, 1 applies the customer privacy requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 to broadband internet access service and other telecommunication services. Sorry, all other telecommunication services. Two, re requires telecommunications carriers to inform customers about their rights to opt in or out of the use of the sharing of their confidential information. Three, adopts data security and breach notification requirements. Four, prohibits broadband service offerings that are contingent on surrendering privacy rights, and five, requires disclosures and affirmative consent when a broadband provider offers customers financial incentives in exchange for the provider's right to use a customer's confidential information. It's abolishing all that? This joint resolution nullifies the rule that treats your broadband and telecommunications traffic uh, sacrosanct under the Communications Act of 1934. That's a pretty terrible... That's a pretty terrible proposed law. Did it become a did, did it become a law? Uh -huh. Oh shit! That happened. Happened back in April. So a joint movement that said, "Oh yeah, I remember that." Yeah, all internet service providers can sell your private data to whoever they want. Yep, thanks. your search history, your browsing history, whatever, wherever you've been. They can sell it to advertisers. And it's it's wide-reaching. It's your confidential information from all telecommunication services. These are both terrible. Uh, horrible. This is, 
in a post-privacy age, maybe the final nail in the coffin for any of our information being protected from large corporate interests. I mean, Equifax already gave our, our all of our information away to Russian hackers. Uh, not by choice, at least. Yeah, but I, I just feel like everybody is known to everybody. People know what I search for. I don't even bother to clear my search history anymore. Find out all the weird stuff I'm into. I, yeah. What bummer bills. Bummer bills. I don't care which one's the worst. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's just move on to yeah. the best, worst entertainer to cheer ourselves up for a little second. Yeah. Boy, that was a that was a bummer. Our okay, let's just let's get right into sucks. entertainment. Let's just get into let's not do it. Let's just get right. right into entertainment. Right into entertainer. The, the the best the entertainer or entertainers that performed the best in 2017. So I got a real fucking bummer for you coming up. Oh, is the best Oh no, just there's a there's a real there's a real bummer hidden in here. All right. Well, so, sorry. I think I went first for the past few, so I feel like it's your turn to go first. All right, so I'm going to say Dark Horse Canada Entertainer of the Year did not rise to prominence in 2017, but had his flame reignited uh, for some of the most surprising uh, creative output. And it's a little off script, a little off brand, but it is Stephen King. Oh, really? Stephen King for Best Entertainer? Stephen King for Best Entertainer. Not because of his creative output, though, from what I understand, the work that he did output was pretty good, uh, but the works of Stephen King uh, received fantastic adaptations, the likes of which they had not seen maybe ever. So are we talking about It? We're, we're talking about It, we're talking about Gerald's Game, we're talking about, God, what's it called, 1922, I think? Uh, but a, a series of, of really good adaptations, and mostly Gerald's Game. And this is a selfish thing, because Gerald's Game is my favorite Stephen King story, and the Netflix original Gerald's Game is so good and so faithful and so awesome... Uh, and so contextually perfect for what's happening in this year that I I say Stephen King takes it. I'm also a big Stephen King fan, and I hate that ninety percent of the adaptations of his work are hot garbage. But I and I feel like his his work has been resonating throughout a lot of media, not just direct adaptations. But we're really appreciating that kind of Stephen King horror aesthetic right now. All right, all right, I I, I could see that. See, I'm not. I'm not as big as of a Stephen King fan, so I think that was under my radar for for a large a large bit. I would recommend you watch Gerald's Game on Netflix. Yeah, it's really really good. All right, I'm by the sure. guy who made a Oculus. Oh, so it's a horror. Yeah, I don't watch horror. It's not it's not super scary. Won't do it. It's more it's psychological. All right, all right. We, I will consider it uh, for my bid for best entertainer. I went with a group that. We saw together. Oh no! <laughs> that did not did not start in two thousand seven, but I feel like they really hit a great stride. Seventeen, two thousand seventeen, not two thousand seven. What the you fuck is wrong with me? Uh, they did not rise to prominence in two thousand seventeen, but I feel like they hit a great stride. They toured internationally for the first time of their careers, and I I feel like they're pretty big right now, <laughs> within the circles of people that know them, and that's absurdist sketch comedy group. Auntie Donna. All right. This is unfair because you know that I love Auntie Donna. You also love Stephen King. It's true. Uh, so here's my piece about Auntie Donna. Uh, they had a little bit of a rough patch maybe beginning of this year with a, with a few things. And I think I've, I've liked Auntie Donna stuff for like two years now, something like that, two, three years. I think we discovered them last year in 2016. And I feel like that came to a head in 2017 when we saw them live. Yeah, I... um. 
I feel like they had kind of a creative slump. They're definitely out of it now, producing some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen them do. Yeah. And I remember it was kind of in the in the heat of that slump that we saw them perform live, and I was uh, blown away. Yeah. Anidana's so good. Now, when it comes to Best Entertainer, I, I mean, I feel like Stephen King is, a, is much larger than Anidana. Mm-hmm. His brand is bigger. More people are aware of him. He's had more movies. So this is this is a hard one. Uh, if I can throw a dime into Anidana's hat real quick. Yeah. Uh, Anidana did the things that they are being nominated for, whereas Stephen King just wrote the things and other people adapted them. That's true, but I, if I can throw a dime into Stephen King's hat, he's Stephen King. And although he had a bad adaptation in The Dark Tower, it seemed like his brand... Oh, shit, I forgot about The Dark Tower. It doesn't matter, his brand is still prevailing. It does... Mm-hmm. It, if the Dark Tower did th- that bad, it did not affect it. Mm-hmm. It did not affect Gerald's game. Mm-hmm. And let's let's face it, he's been in the game for a really long time. I feel like Stephen King, the major reason I nominated him was much like Auntie Donna, he was in a slump. But Stephen King's slump was maybe like a decade long. Yeah. Two decades maybe. See, I'm tempted to concede just because I feel like Stephen King, on a cultural level, is much bigger than Auntie Donna. That that is fair. So I think that's what I'm going to do. And and we'll we'll cling on to Auntie Donna as they fly through the void to be forgotten forever. We'll just go with them. Well, here's the thing. We have a supplemental read about Auntie Donna. That is the only thing that will continue to exist because this podcast... Uh, it's, it's permanent. It's permanent. It's the only constant. It's the only. It's it's the Desmond of this world. Welcome to Primer. Well, Stephen King wins that one. Sorry, Auntie Donna boys, you just lost to the best. Maybe if you responded to our tweets, I would be different in my judgment. But you know what you did. Oh boy, they're gonna listen to this and feel so bad. They don't even know who we are. Let's see. So now we're going to move on to Worst Entertainer of 2017, and I went slightly off script, and boy do I have a bummer. You have a bummer? But you can go first. I nominate Taylor Swift. Oh man, go back to the first one. For uh, all the reasons we discussed earlier. Yeah, um, I hate to do this to you, Henry, uh, but I am just going to come in with a knockout punch. Uh, I nominate James Toback. Uh, who not a lot of people know. You know who James Toback is? I do not know who James Toback <laughs> is. Here's the thing. Here's why I bring James Toback up. You just got really re-energized. <laughs> he's a screenwriter. Uh, he's worked in a lot of Hollywood movies. I don't think he's put anything out this year, but I went slightly out of script, pulled this one out of the vault, because uh, people have forgotten about James Toback. And I just want to bring him back to any amount of... Okay. What did he produ- what did he write? What, what what movies is he responsible for? I, I think he did the Rush Hour movies, okay. and he's done a bunch of other bad movies. Like what? Let me look it up real quick. Well, you nominated this guy. You don't even have his his, his 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 rap sheet. Oh no, I have his rap sheet, and we can talk about it. Let's see. Uh, what did this motherfucker screen write? Uh, let's see. He did Seduced and Abandoned, Two Girls and a Guy, The Pickup Artist. Bugsy, uh, put Bugsy in a crate, put him in a river. Harvard man, fingers black and white. Uh, he, he just did a whole bunch of... Th- Here's the thing with James Toback. I don't know if he made a movie this year. He has been credibly accused by 300 women... What? ...of sexual assault, misconduct, and harassment. Three? Over 300 women. And he doesn't even make good movies. When, 
when Harvey Weinstein was... When all that came out, almost immediately after that, James Toback was brought up. And He's just a screenwriter. And dozens and dozens of women uh, accused him of sexual misconduct. Right? Right. And then other more famous people at stuff. People forgot about James Toback. This motherfucker should be in space prison. Wait, I feel like there was a space prison movie. <laughs> yes. Alright, alright. Uh, but, is he as bad as Taylor Swift? Uh... Uh, here's the thing. I, I would be willing to concede because this it's it's fully outside of the realm of the category. He is the worst. Uh, I think you just answered my question. No, no, he is the worst, but it has nothing to do with 2017. He had no output whatsoever. I just wanted people to remember. Wait, if you want him to remember, he has to win because if he loses, oh. he's struck from the record. No, he has to win. But then people forget about Taylor Swift. I'm okay with that. Wait, what about Shake It Off? I'm I'm really fine with that. All right, Taylor Swift loses. Uh, yeah, no. I at every party, whenever people talk about this, I like to bring up James Toback because fuck that guy. Everyone needs to remember what's his name? James Toback. Toback? Yeah, spelled Le- just like you would imagine. T O B A C K. Look him up. Fucking put his face on a dark... Oh my god. Oh my god, James Toback. Wow. I broke the rules to fuck over James Toback. And you know what? I think the judges, who are us, will allow it. Alright, thank god for that. Fuck that guy. That brings us to the end of our prepared material. Oh boy! Now we get to the last three categories which were submitted by you, our dear listeners. I don't know if you can hear John's scrambling paper in a bowl... That's your categories that you suggested, and for 8 through 10, which are, that's 3, we're going to be pulling them and discussing them. Is ad hoc the word? Maybe. We're we're improvising. We're going to improvise these last few categories. Oh, wait. Hold on. That's Latin for with hawk. So we are not doing it with a hawk. Okay. No hawks. All right. So I'm going to pull the first best worst category submitted by the listeners. Number 8. Number 8 is going to be... Stock photo you've encountered. Now, this is kind of funny. Because there was a stock photo that went viral. Oh? I don't know if you know it. It got turned into a meme. Mm -hmm. It's the picture of the woman walking past the couple. Oh. And the guy turning his head and the girlfriend looking at him in disgust. Okay. Now, is that your... That is is my nomination for the best stock photo that I encountered. Uh, My nomination is for older gentlemen on a computer looking... Kind of, like, anguished but happy. All right. Uh, Wait, it, is it, it also turned into a meme. Is that Ken M? Or the, yes. The face yeah. of Ken M? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I know that one as well. Uh, that is my nomination. If only this was just best meme or whatever. Uh, but that that's definitely mine. That's the best stock photo I care. Because that's just an unplaceable emotion. Yeah. <laughs> His ambivalent face belongs in the annals of history. However... So does two time and Tim or whatever. You I mean, if, call it. if we're just going on cultural penetration, then uh, then yours is a strong contender. Funny you mentioned penetration, John. Oh, that singular stock image is part of a series, as as most stock images are, and so that story continues. That guy looking at that girl runs into the girl again 
ends up cheating on the, the the girl who looks disgusted. She ends up walking in on them, and I think she kills them. Oh wow! It, it's it's a roller coaster of an emotional story. I love, I love stock photos, man. Here's uh, here's one thing you should look up. Uh, not right now, but after this podcast, everyone should look up stock photo iPhone case. Okay. Uh, there was a, a company that I guess was just putting any random stock photo on iPhone cases, uploading them to Amazon. Then when people bought them, they'd just make them. Yeah. Because it's super easy. Uh, but it was not of carefully selected stock images. It was seemingly anything. So you have like heroin syringe and spoon iPhone case. Cheese wheel on muscular body iPhone case. Hearing aid in ear close up iPhone case. Is that your nomination for worst? Uh, ooh, that's a good one. Because we we need to settle the best. Yeah. Is it is it head turn or is it head turn? Head turn wins. It's gotta be. I like face of Ken M, but by Ken M, you're gone forever. Uh, cheating, cheating Tim, cheating Chad, you win. Cheaty Ken. And, uh, yeah, no, my my suggestion for worst is whatever weird robot decided that a close-up of a hearing aid on an iPhone case oh was a good idea. That's really bizarre, and I have to now spring for a worst stock image from my head. Let's just go with yours. Okay, cool. I can't think of one. <laughs> uh, I, I really want the one that's a heroin syringe in a spoon, but they're only for, like, iPhone 4s. What's up with that? So that does it for number eight. Number nine, that's Henry picking it. That's Henry picking it right now. <laughs> Your number nine category submitted by you, our dear listeners, is... Oh, it's the long one. The best slash worst moment of continuity between book and movie. Well, so it's the best moment of continuity between book and movie and the worst complete ne- le- neglect of book plot by the movie. Okay. So this is hard because I don't know if I've saw many adaptations this year. Uh, I have one. I have a best. You have a best? I have Gerald's Game. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so uh, Gerald's Game is an extremely divisive story uh, because it's it's very, very um, psychological. You don't know what's real, what's not. And I can't spoil this, I guess. You can't. But the the end of Gerald's game, the end of the story is extremely divisive. It's kind of a... It kind of feels like a gotcha. It feels like a, oh, it was all a dream. That's not the twist. But it feels like a rug taken out from under you. Uh, It it just reestablishes the reality in a way you don't like. And uh, Mike Flanagan, who redirected it... Redirected? Made the adaptation. (laughs) uh, Redirected. Kept the ending... Exactly the same. That's awesome. Uh, he kept exact. He changed one thing. He changed one line of dialogue and where it was delivered in the story. Completely recontextualized everything. Became this really cool statement on what was happening in Hollywood at the time. Great, powerful moment. The ending is still not great. Like yeah. the ending still has problems as weirdly divisive. But good on him for taking a bad ending. Keeping it and then making one change to make it better. That's awesome. Now I'm gonna. I'm, this is a bit of a stretch on my part, but I'm gonna nominate the movie Logan for not being a straight up adaptation of Old Man Logan. Oh, yeah. Because this is right at my heart. Because there's few things I hate more than the graphic novel Old Man Logan, and it's it's rifed rifed 
Rifed. That's not a word, is it? It's a rift. No. It's rifled. Mm-hmm. It's riddled with, mm-hmm. <laughs> riddled with problems. And the fact that it, the movie Logan kind of just borrows the fact that Wolverine is old and that's it, I feel like was a very strong decision to make. <laughs> that they resisted just falling into the trap of let's adapt old man Logan. So I think that's my best moment of contemporary <laughs> between book and movie. Oh, man. So, you haven't seen Gerald's Game, so we can't... You haven't is... seen plus read it. That's... To actually appreciate what that is, you have to have done both. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's re- that's a really hard... It's a really tough one. I'm tempted to concede just because I hate, hate Old Man Logan. Well, Old Man Logan is a bad book, and Logan is a great movie. Well, then, I, I think I think you should, because I, I want to win this contest. And, and we have to do that because no, no one out there has read and watched Gerald's Game and is ready to discuss with me the, how I feel about that, so I'll, I'll concede that one. All right, Logan, the adaptation of Logan, and choosing not to adapt Old Man Logan wins the best moment of continuity. Okay, so now we have to do the worst moment. Well, the, the worst is the complete neglect of book plot. The worst neglect of book plot. So a complete neglect of the plot of a book. I'm not sure I've seen a lot of adaptations from books that were that uh, egregious. Yeah, that were that were that egregious. I'm gonna go. This is also a stretch, uh, and this this isn't. This should not technically be a spoiler, but in the new Thor movie, it's revealed. Well, that just means it's my. This is my. It's revealed that Thor and Loki. Have a sister. Oh. Which is not true to Norse mythology. It's in a trailer. Oh, it's in the trailer? It's in the trailer. Okay, I didn't know because I don't watch trailers. The character in question who they're introducing, I, I've already forgotten her name, in Norse mythology is Loki's daughter. Oh, Hera? No, Hela? Mm. I forget her name. Helen? It's not Helen. Oh. But it, it, it's it, she's the ruler of the... Un- she's the god of death, basically. Yeah. That's Loki's daughter, not their sister. They don't have a sister. So, complete disrespect of the book on which it was based, which is Norse mythology. Exactly. The adaptation of Norse mythology, that's the worst moment. Now I've got one for you. Not the space or anything. <laughs> uh, I've I've also got one for you. All right. I think the worst uh, disregard for continuity from a book is also from Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Uh, and it is because they have the gall... To uh, crib the character design of Planet Hulk Hulk without making a Planet Hulk movie, and Planet Hulk is the best. (laughs) That's a Planet Hulk. uh, Hulk learns to speak, and it's a gladiator drama, and Planet Hulk is so good, and Thor Ragnarok should have been Planet Hulk featuring Thor. Planet Planet Hulk is so good. John, are you drunk? Planet Hulk is so good. Uh, uh, you re- uh, it's you so feel very good. strongly about this, and I feel like it's stronger than I feel about the the accuracy of Norse mythology. So without a discussion, I'm just going to concede and say, make that Planet Hulk movie. Planet Hulk is so good. Make that Planet... Oh my they god. They did an animated one. Yeah, I want to watch that. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think they did. Uh, I, uh, I actually get really... I like Planet Hulk so much... That when that John Car- Carter movie came out, 
Oh, John Cutter of Mars? Yeah. yeah. It was a bad movie. But it was like a guy goes to Mars and he has like superpowers and becomes a gladiator. So similar to Planet Hulk, I get kind of excited for it. That's funny. Oh, I love Planet Hulk so much. All right, so the worst moment is when they did not decide <laughs> to make Thor Ragnarok... Thor Ragnarok, just Planet Hulk starring Thor. All right, so we've got one more here. And now for drum rolls for the final category of this best worst for 2017. All right, and scat me. ba da ba dee ba boo it's 2017. Got to do ba do it's best worst last category. Wow, he dropped it on the couch. All right, are you ready? Yeah. The final and most important category of best worst 2017. Judge, 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 judge. Technological advancement. Read it closer. Technological advancement. Yeah, advancement is in quotes. All right. I don't know what that suggests, but I've already got a worst one lined up. (laughs) All right. Oh, I need to think of a best one and a worst one. Oh. The best. I've got a worst. (laughs) We both have a worst already. Uh, But now we need a best technological advancement. Um, they can't see us doing air quotes. Uh, advancement. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I've got to get a best tech... That's a toughie. That is a toughie. What's my favorite technological advancement of this year? Specifically in 2017. Oh, I got it. I got mine. You got one? Yep, I got my best. All right. I, 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 well, I need to come up with one. Oh, I can tell you mine while you come up with yours. Do it. Uh... The proliferation of the affordable all-electric car. Oh, so just it being more available. Yeah, it being more available and affordable. Because if you look at something like the like the latest Tesla, after tax rebates, it's a kind of affordable car to have. You're not talking about the Roadster, obviously. No, You're talking no, about... Like, like a $30,000 base price plus tax incentives, you can kind of realistically be driving around in a Tesla or a Nissan Leaf or a Chevy Volt. Especially like a Chevy Volt, $23,000, you can get a Chevy Volt right now. I'll sell you one right now. I know somebody who's leasing a a Chevy Volt, and they're pretty happy with it. Although, someone stole their charging cord. That's awful. That's really terrible. Yeah, uh, all electric vehicles have always fascinated me. I, I find them really, really interesting as to how they can have an impact on particularly the United States, but also advancing countries. Well, John, I'm sorry to let you know. That you are wrong. Oh. Because the best technological advancement of 2017 is SpaceX's reusable shuttles. Oh, shit. <laughs> Space exploration is going to take off, and it's going to be taken off in the most price-effective way. Now, interestingly, <laughs> interestingly enough, both of those are owned by Elon Musk. Oh, yay. So I think we can combine them to Elon Musk is the best <laughs> technological advancement of 2017. Uh, yeah, no, reusable space shuttles, that's the biggest hurdle in space travel. Yeah, yeah, we, you can land anywhere and then launch again. It's gonna be, we're gonna, we're gonna witness it when we are 70 years old. People are gonna be in space. And think about all those women who are gonna be building and flying those, uh, those spaceships. Thanks to Congress passing a good bill. Thanks, Inspire. I feel inspired. I feel inspired that we're going to be driving Teslas on the moon. You can quote me on that. 20, 2090. 2080. <laughs> I, when am I going to be 70? Uh, probably like 2050. No, it was 50 years from now. 
but it's 40 years. 2060, let's do it. 2060, Tesla's on the moon. Tesla's on the... Oh, man, I don't want to get old. So let's do a worst. The worst technological advancement by far. All right, and you can go first. By far. Uh-huh. Is the elimination of the headphone jack on smartphones. That is bullshit. Uh, my worst technological advancement is smart devices that listen to everything you say and record it. So I think we can combine those two. <laughs> the worst thing in 2017 is the design of smartphones. They're, they're getting worse. Okay, so I think we can combine those and say the worst technological advancement of 2017 is the repeal of net neutrality. Is the repeal of net neutrality. And smartphones not having headphone jacks with which we can listen in on them. No, they can just. I'm just. And then they just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now I'm just going crazy. That was the most important thing. The repeal of net. Well, see, it's no number ten. Number ten. The number ten is always the most important one. Yeah, exactly. Technological advancement at the repeal of net neutrality. Rest in peace, this podcast. What do you mean by rest in peace this podcast? Because now that there's no net neutrality, we got to start charging for it. Hold on. Are we about to become money bags? We're about to become money bags. We can charge whatever we want for this podcast, and people got to pay it. That's what it means when net neutrality is repealed. And because of the GOP's great new tax reform, we only have to pay 21% of our income in taxes. Great. That's only 1% of the federal withholding from withdrawing from our 401ks that we don't need because we're rich. And we're going to be dead anyway by before. Before we even get the drive on the moon. This is this is awesome. Tesla's on the moon. We're going to die rich. High five. High five. And I think we have one more thing to discuss, John. Uh, what's that? It is to discuss, based on everything we've talked about today, all of the bests, all of the worst, we need to render a final judgment. Was 2017 a good or a bad? Was 2017... Oh, that's tough. This is We've already discussed how great a year it was for art. We are yeah, we we've divided it we've divided 2017 to the 10 categories that count. And now based on those judgments, was it a good or a bad? You know, I've got an unpopular opinion. What's your unpopular opinion, John? I had a different feeling coming into this room, but I think based on what we've discussed here today, I think 2017 was a good. I reluctantly agree. Because if we have to take everything, and, okay, things are bad in certain places. Yeah. But if you take what's happening in the world, and in art, and in the collective consciousness of some people, I think that 2017 might have, like, just gained, like, one yard of ground. I honestly feel the same way. I feel like we entered 2017 on a bad note, and I feel like because of the bad things, more good things are happening. I feel like, for some reason, I am optimistic about the end of 2017 going into 2018, and I can only hope the energy of this optimism, that I don't think it's just something that I'm perceiving. I think it's in the air. Yeah, something we were talking about when we initially talked about, like, the, you know... Uh, the inner mind's eye person of the year, uh, the silence breakers. We were talking about how there's this this prevailing sense of power that people who used to feel kind of disenfranchised by the systems that be are feeling, and it's it's coming true. We have more people like speaking out, and more people. And I mean, there are awful things happening every day. It's like, true. It, it's it's is seemingly unceasing. But if you're willing to take a wider view, I think. 
I think it's been good. And I can only hope that it's going to continue into 2018. I, I, I hope so. So even though things seem dark right now, try to see the light. Try to see the good things that are happening, which is always my advice. Because it can be so easy to be overwhelmed with negativity that if you don't focus on the good things, you're, you're going to find yourself swallowed up. And if, if we surround ourselves, if we identify only as people who don't like things... And notice negative things. We build nothing. But if we let everyone know that we love things, we can all love things together. And build newer towers. And Tesla's on the moon! And Tesla's on the moon. That's the goal. <laughs> I feel like that wraps it up. And I feel like a good, a good Christmas or holiday New Year's present to you... Why don't we just skip the social media plugs for this episode? Yeah, we, we can skip the social media plugs. You guys know where to find us. Yeah. Hit us up if you want to. If you want to discuss some of the things we discussed, let us know. Send us an email where you can. Send us a Twitter, and we'll 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 talk to you straight uh, up. Uh, but but Henry, what's up? If if I don't do the social media plugs, what am I gonna what what am I gonna say at the end of the? Wait, hold on. I think I know what I need to say, what and you... I think it's a Christmas miracle. What is it, John? Put Bubsy in the ground. I gotta say, fake out ending. From everyone here at the Zero Credit Studios, we want to wish you a happy new year. A happy, hopeful new year. See you in 2018. That's us. That's a wrap. Series wrap for Zero Credit 2017. <laughs> yeah, maybe a season wrap. Who knows? Well, we'll talk about it. Bye for now. Bye. Ha. 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 What lovely holiday good times we have here at the Zero Credit Studios. And who knows what we have in store for next year, 2018, the year of the robot uprising. Ha! 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 Have a good holiday and see you soon.